Hello and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where our co-hosts bring keen insight to some of the most pressing issues facing nonprofit and church leaders today. Each episode features an in-depth interview with thought leaders, ministry practitioners, executives and artists who draw from their wealth of experiences to share valuable insights and lessons learned from the journey. And now, let's join our hosts for today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast. My name is David Miller. I am here with my good friends and Slingshot Group co-workers, Keith Robinson. Hey, everybody. And Brian Taylor. Hey, everybody. Uh, You know, um, guys, 2020 has really proven to be one of those just years of chaos. Um, You know, uh, all kinds of things going on. One of the big ones being around the pandemic, people trying to figure out how to do ministry in in really brand new ways. We're we're having, the church is having to reimagine itself more than it has in, in, I think, in decades. Hmm. Um, and, And one of the things we're having to really reimagine beyond just how we do it, is around this idea of how we define success. Uh, You know, most churches before all of this, the definition of success, whether we wanted to say it this way or not, but let's be a little bit crass about it, right? The the definition of success has been um, butts and seats, right? Mm -hmm. The definition has been how many people show up Mm -hmm. to a, a, a gathering. And maybe something around finances, um, you know, giving, Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then the ones that are really being intentional, like, like if I were to ask, you know, I mean, again, we consult and coach with, you know, hundreds of churches, Uh, most are going to stop there, Mm -hmm. right? Most are going to say those two things are how we know we're doing a good job. The ones that are really leaning in are going to add to it, um, you know, number of salvations, new believers, um, baptisms, um, you know, really trying to figure out uh, how do we know that the things we're doing are effective and are making sense and are, in fact, successful? Well, 2020 really messed that up. And in a way, I am in the camp that I would say I celebrate the fact that 2020 is going to mess that up. It's not that numbers are wrong. It's not that those measurements shouldn't be, um, shouldn't, you know, be at the forefront of some of the things that we're doing, but they can't be all of it. Mm-hmm. And so in, in that vein, um, you know, Vance Martin, our, our, our only, you know, he, uh, he has put together a white paper where, um, he talks about the eight ways to measure next-gen ministry. And, and I got to tell you, um, the moment that I started reading it, uh, you know, I realized, you know what, you guys, th- this, this white paper is not just about next-gen ministry. Like truly, these eight ways of measuring next-gen ministry can be translated um, throughout the church as a whole. And so uh, what, what we're inviting you into is to listen into a little bit of a conversation with Keith Bryan and I, really highlighting a couple, you know, of the, the ones of, uh, of the eight that jumped out to us. And starting to kind of see, I would encourage you as you're listening to this, start to understand how would that affect your ministry if you started to measure success this way? Again, these are not just ideas of, hey, it wouldn't be cool if we did ministry this way. Most of you are doing ministry in some way like this, but we're not measuring it for success. 
And so guys, I'm, I'm pumped to jump into this conversation with you. And I, and I think it's important, you know, maybe we just jump right in. And so, um, Brian, I'd love to hear from you first, uh, talk to us about maybe one or two of the, the ones that jumped off the page to you as you're reading through this white paper and translate it for us, you know, from next gen into the church as a whole. transformation there, uh, but that never made its way to the next generation. And I think, you know, in, in our churches these days, there's a generation that has had such an encounter with God, but as culture changes, as focus changes, as ideas of success change, uh, I'm seeing that, that that transformation, that experience, that encounter is not making its way to the church of tomorrow, even though it's a part of the fabric of the church of today. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it really it doesn't matter uh, about knowledge if that knowledge is not built on a foundation of life change and transformation, because that is uh, what's going to be the things that last. That's going to be what marks people's lives uh, for the long term, not just eternally, but you know, here, not just a sweet by and by, but right here and now. Uh, that transformation is what makes the difference. So that, I mean, that one really stood out to me. Yeah, Brian, you know, as you're talking about that and, and you shared that scripture in Judges chapter two, I love that that story is probably the most tragic verse in the in the Old Testament, right? Because if you think about it for just a minute, what did Joshua's generation experience, yeah. right? Like Joshua and Caleb were the only two that saw it from their generation, but God parted the sea and they walked across on dry ground, right? Yeah. So like he watched, those two guys watch God, you know, defend Israel, defeat their enemies, provide for them miraculously bringing them into the promise <laughs> one generation complete yeah. apostasy and so that's a sobering story when i read that and and the thing you were saying is that it didn't translate from head to heart and i think that one of the the things that vance points out that i really liked in this white paper his first point that there is a shift from the relevant to the relational that's happened now and if you go to that story in judges chapter 2 and you do any of the backstory and you sort of start reading it, the people are so busy with occupying the, their promise mm -hmm. that God had given them that they didn't take time at the dinner table to relationally translate their values mm -hmm. to the next generation. And so 
again, Judges 2.10, a whole generation grows up who neither knows the Lord nor what he had done. So they stopped telling the story about that transformation that had happened. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of stories can only be translated through relationship. It, It doesn't happen in the big wow moments, but instead it's that conversation that we have at the dinner table with our kids, with our spouse, with our neighbors. And so I, I just really think there's something to this, um, this idea of shifting from relevant to relational. And like never before, our hand has been forced to go back and sort of rediscover the old ways. Yeah. And, and to pursue relationship as a way of translating our faith to people. And, um, and I, I think I'm seeing that more and more and more. There's just such an emphasis right now on how do we get better at being relational? And, and I think it's so grounded too in our calling because the great commission hasn't changed, right? Right. Like it, like none of that has changed. Mm-hmm. And Jesus's model for discipleship was this life on life relational approach. Yeah, I think of, you know, in in kind of the worship and experience world that I live in most often, you know, how that kind of focus would even change how we plan services today. You know, in this age, you know, it, you know, I think the culture has shifted from kind of the attractional come and see us thing. Uh, and but I think sometimes in our effort to be polished and excellent, excellent and well-produced, we lose that encounter. We lose that transformation. We give people a lot of great knowledge, right? And that's important. Sound teaching is important. Singing sound theological, you know, theologically based songs, that's important, but we lose, we lose that encounter and that experience and people can walk out the doors basically the same way they came in. And man, how does that, how does that equip people for all the different things that we have to face today, you know, in our, in our culture, in our world, in this season, amidst this pandemic. And I just think it's a, it's a really vital truth, not just in our storytelling, but it should make its way through, through every aspect of what we do. You know, I, to Brian's, that idea of, of understanding scripture, again, not just for the sake of knowing it, but for the transformation is, is huge. Um, I, I find that a lot of churches that, that I've been working with um, and that we get to you know see behind the curtain obviously have like a love and a reverence for the Bible, but but the celebration of knowing it, of our people knowing it, seems to have gone down overall. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, I I even think of you know churches that that I, that I've been a part of. I mean, we we are excited. Like in the children's ministry, we're excited when kids know scripture and they get a pizza party or they get candy or they get to go to the treasure box, right? You know what I mean? Whatever that looks like to encourage them to memorize and learn. And we celebrate that amongst ourselves, but I don't think I've seen that as a measurement. Right. You know, I don't think I've seen, um, you know, biblical literacy as a measurement of many churches today. And there's something about if we could start to, to, to move our mindset into it, Brian, you talk about even in, you know, the worship experience world, you know, man, like in songs is like this, this 
almost untapped market of helping people to memorize and understand and know scripture. I, I still, you know, my kids are pretty young. Um, I remember getting uh, an album that a friend of mine had recommended um, by an artist named Rando Goodgame. And Rando Goodgame, um, you know, kind of a, you know, out in, in Nashville, um, put out an album that was literally just walking through different passages of scripture. So he would just, I mean, really didn't add any word, just put it to music and sang it. And I think actually sang it alongside with his kids. I mean, that's how he put the album together. And, and I found myself knowing and memorizing scripture that I hadn't memorized as an adult through those songs. And, and man, there was something absolutely transformational about that when when it sinks in where you're not having to fight for it but you just know it and it and it, and it comes out of you um there's something really beautiful so i i've mm -hmm. got to wonder what would happen if as as churches not just next gen ministries if as churches if we started to measure some of our success how are we doing through the lens of do our people know scripture mm -hmm. I mean, like actual word for word of it. Do our people know what that verse says? And again, I think music, I think teaching, I think there are some some really creative ways. Are there creative ways you guys have seen, um, you know, either churches or or organizations, ministries, um, really helping not just kids, but but adults understand scripture in, in a new way? I'll just share an anecdote from my own journey. Yeah. I came to Christ as a young adult hmm. and was... Uh, not informed about the Bible prior to my faith decision. Um, I didn't know John three sixteen. Um, and You've never been to a football game. You just <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd yeah. heard it, but I like if somebody said, "What does it say?" I had no idea. I just thought it was something that Stone Cold Steve Austin had on his. <laughs> there you go. Black leather vest. <laughs> that says Keith. That says <laughs> <Wow>. so much <laughs> about your childhood. Who like, watched like, man. WWE yes. Raw? On no, when you yes. were a kid, it was still WWF, right? Isn't that yeah. that that that's got to be true? It was, and then yeah. the Wildlife Foundation yeah. said no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that just says a lot about you, buddy. <laughs> which I'm really excited to get that behind the scenes look. Not we're not talking yes. about sporting events like football games. Oh no. This is not this is not Tim Tebow putting it on yeah. his uh you know anti-reflective stuff stone under his cold. eyes. We're talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin stone cold being says the, so. the role model for Keith Robinson growing right. up. Smashing let's, beer cans. Let's I actually on, love you. I love that. you more. I love I you too. more because of that revelation, <laughs> Keith. I, that was, uh, I didn't think it was possible, but I do. I love you more now. <laughs> you're welcome for all that. Um, but so that was that was sort of my understanding, right? Of 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 scripture and I remember um, just this hunger coming alive in me to read, hmm. read the Bible and, and just wanting to sit down and open it up and read, but I had no idea where to start. Hmm. And, and when you, if you've ever connected with a new convert and if you haven't in a while, I encourage you to do it because it's an exciting journey. And, and I just remember like, why am I opening this, this book three quarters of the way through to start, hmm. you know, cause it's like you come to Christ and someone hands you a Bible and says, Hey, turn to the gospel of John and begin John, here. Yeah. I didn't know where to begin. Yeah. And so I'm grateful, though, that there was someone in my life. It's actually the, the individual who invited me to the church. Um, every week, she would just ask me what it was that I needed prayer for. And she would send me after I'd say, hey, I need prayer for this. If it was about temptation, if it was about discouragement, if it was you know, about sharing my faith with others, whatever it was, she would curate a list of scriptures 
send those to me and encourage me to meditate on them and to memorize them. Hmm. And so it was just this responsibility of another believer who was a little bit further down the road in the journey, looking at someone who doesn't know the word, knowing that there's a handful of things that I'm probably wondering about. And the quickest way to discern those is say, hey, how can I pray for you? And so it was just this really intentional relational approach. And before I knew it, I was memorizing scripture and growing in God's word, and it came alive to me. But so often it's get in a class or go you know, read this book. And those things can be helpful. But for me, I needed a person to say, hey, this is what you're dealing with. Here are five scriptures that are going to be useful for you in that journey. And so uh, to me, again, it comes back to this relationship. And so if we're intentionally equipping people to be the sorts of disciples that Christ has called us to be, then I think we're going to find ourselves naturally gravitating toward helping others to grow in their faith and and, and helping them grow in the word. So I, I think we need a more intentional approach about equipping our people uh, yep. in our churches to know how to share the word with people and how to give it to them in a way that they can digest it. I wasn't getting overwhelmed with, you know, read this whole book. It was, hey, here's a handful of scriptures to give you handles on things that you're struggling with today. Here's some promises that you can hold on to. So I just think that relational approach for me is the thing that helped grow my appetite for God's word. Yeah, I honestly think that if churches, you know, th- th- this is what I, I, I wish churches would do more, and maybe this is my own bias at, at having come out of next-gen ministry, but but I think that churches as a whole need to learn more from next-gen ministries. Um, I mean, really, you know, what you just described, Keith, you know, as as, as even a young adult, like that, like that is the approach, how you would approach a, a junior higher or, you know, a fifth grader or even younger. And so, man, there are things that we're learning in kind of the incubator of next-gen ministry that the church as a whole can latch onto. And if our churches understood, you know, I think we do again cognitively, but we don't measure it. If we understood the power of what it means to memorize scripture and the power of what it means to wrap our minds around that in a transformational way, it would change the way we measure our success. The, the, the pinnacle of did you show up on Sunday won't be the thing that we're most concerned about because that will be a given because they want to know more scripture. Um, and there'll be something really, really interesting to that. Um, that's it. I love that one, Brian. That, was, that one jumped out to me as well. Keith, uh, you know, talk to us about you know, one of the ones that, that jumped out to you. Yeah. Yeah, as I read through this, I mean, I, I love the idea um, that Vance gets to in number eight. And I think it's the one that is sort of the icing on the cake for me because it it gets to the real heart of even what we're talking about in this in this podcast. And it's the shift from numbers to names. Hmm. And I love Vance's spotlight uh, that he actually gives just sort of a, hey, this is what this might look like for you. And he says to communicate on an individual level mm-hmm. instead of, or in addition to sending these mass emails to your church families, simply send them a text or an email and let them know you're praying for them. Yeah. Um, ask them if there's something they need, anything that you can walk with them in, in this season. Um, and, and I love that. I love that the idea is on engagement mm-hmm. and not just, you know, get people into the program. And all of us right now, if we're using the same scorecard that we were using eight, 10 months ago, we're losing, right? 
Yeah. But I, re I remember many years ago, you know, when I was a student pastor, this is like 2009, 2010, dating myself a little bit, but um, I never thought it would be old school to like call people <laughs> and to talk to people. <laughs> but I guess it is because, you know, I remember uh, Wednesday nights in our student ministry. I mean, right after school, students would show up. We'd line tables in our in our youth room, and we'd have phones, you know, set up where people could just come in and make phone calls. And we would call all the students and all the families in our church on a Wednesday afternoon. And it was just this relational approach. And I can't tell you how many kids would have probably not shown up on Wednesday night had we not just said, hey, remember, it's Wednesday, there's youth. Yeah. And now that I have a teenager, I realize the importance and the value of those reminders. Mm -hmm. And so just that relational approach that we would shift from numbers back to names. Mm -hmm. I don't know who said it, but someone I heard recently, they said, you know, every IP address is a person. Mm. And so often... In, in churches, people can come and they can be anonymous for a really long time. But I think the mark of discipleship is to, to know and be known. Yeah. And so this, this approach of being relational, again, coming back to it, and shifting from just numbers to names is something that churches have to be intentional about. And it's never been more tempting because of digital to actually just look at them as numbers. Um, I don't know that digital has completely, you know, right. changed the game in terms of how we see people um, right. because it's it's too easy to look at it as a as a chunk. You know, we had this many visitors online or we had this many people show up um, to this, you know, virtual experience. Mm -hmm. But how do we get behind that and get back to the names, to the individuals that are coming? And to me, this one just resonated. I don't know about you guys, but but what did you hear when you read that? I think, you know, when, when I read that, um, I think maybe for a lot of pastors and leaders in this season, that might feel a little overwhelming, you know, when they think of very full plates constantly, um, you know, having to innovate and respond to the new normals of whatever COVID brings this week or whatever the state brings this week or whatever they have to encounter this week. And I, I was reminded, I think it's Andy Stanley's quote, do for one what you, what you wish you could do for everyone. Yeah. And I think that is such an important, like, that's an important concept for this point is communication on individual level. I, it's not realistic that you're going to reach every single person of your church every day or every week. Like, that's just not realistic. Um, and I think, you know, just in my own experience of working with leaders, that that the overwhelm of not being able to do it for everyone, they kind of just throw their hands up and and kind of stick to this the mass communication. But I I was even encouraging myself like just hey I got to remember like my teams are not just not just a number it's not just a planning center invite for us it's yeah. like there's stories that are here and I might not be able to get to everyone this week but I can get to one or get to two and those little interactions those moments those texts you know, the prayer, how, how can I pray for you text and communication? Um, those have ripple effects. Um, it also models for the rest of the team, the way to go about this. And there, there's a point of, you know, replication, duplication in that sense as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's so huge. I, what's funny to me is that, um, is that we're doing so poorly at this as the local church, that the moment we hear it, we're overwhelmed by it. Which again, I'm I'm with you. 
right? Like, but, but isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that the moment we would hear that we would say, whoa, whoa, I don't think you understand how busy I am. I don't think you understand how much, <laughs> how much time I'm spending on this other stuff. And I, and, and so, you know, my own anti, you know, antidote, um, was, I remember being a young youth pastor and, and thinking, man, you know what, like, I'm, like speaking is everything. I was looking up to the big name speakers, right? And I, I wanted to tour and travel and speak, and I got to do a little bit of it. And I, I found myself in this ministry where I was spending so much time on the program and so much time on the message in particular for me as the main communicator that, um, that anything beyond that felt like, like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to kill me? You know, like anything beyond it. And I had a, I had a mentor and I was, I was kind of, you know, bemoaning that to a mentor. Um, and, and he said to me, Hey, David, I want you to think about your favorite message that your youth pastor gave. I, I, you know, I grew up under a guy, you know, I didn't grow up, but a couple of years of youth ministry under, you know, a great communicator. And he said, he said, tell me your, your favorite message that he ever gave. And I just went blank. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I can't think of one. You know, he said, he said, you know, maybe think of like one example he gave. And I could think of a funny story he told or maybe a deep example that he told. But I, I, I literally couldn't come up with, you know, I couldn't come up with a sermon name, a sermon series. I couldn't come up with um, the core passage or even core point of any of the messages that he was trying to make when I was in his youth ministry. I said, so what do you remember about being in that youth ministry? What is it about that ministry that caused you to want to dedicate your life to doing the same thing that he did? And I was like, well, I remember going to camp. I remember him talking with me about my relationship with my family. I remember that time that I really messed up and he showed me grace and love. I, I remember that he knew me. Like, like it mattered to him if I showed up or if I didn't show up. It mattered to him what I did outside of like i remember for me i went on tour when i was 17 years old so if you're not doing the math that means i didn't finish high school right away so i left high school early and went on tour and i remember my pastor saying like that's a terrible mistake like please listen don't do that like he cared about my life beyond my attendance yeah and that's what i that's what i get from this you know keith as as you talk about you know, numbers to names is, is the thing that we celebrate are, are all of these people who show up and yet we wouldn't recognize them in the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, how many times, right? How, I mean, I remember that cause I, I, the churches I've worked in have mainly been larger ones. I remember being in a grocery store myself and seeing someone and I know they recognized me and I had no idea. I couldn't have placed them for my life. And I think that if more of us understood the names of our people, the power of, of, of walking into a grocery store and your pastor knowing your name, mm -hmm. if more of us understood um, how to do it well, I, I, I agree if it being overwhelming, Brian, in the fact that I don't think that one person has to know everyone's name. Right. Right. That's part of why we have a team. And yep. so Brian, you, Hey, if you're, if you're in the worship department, you know, you got, you know, 10, 15, 100, 150, 300 people that you're supposed to know. This youth person's got those many names that they're supposed to know. 
you know, right. I mean, like you can, you can break that up. Someone needs to know. And so I, I was coaching a church recently where, where I, I put them to the test and I said, Hey, in your, in your ministry, let's go ahead and go around and you're a church of 9,000. Um, let's see how many of those 9,000 names you would say that you actually know. Yeah. And we split it up, but it wasn't about one person knowing 9,000 names. It was right. about the staff of, you know, 60 or 40, I think it was 50 something, you know, knowing those 9,000 names and, and they did okay. You know, like they did all right. And some did better than others, but you could tell the difference between, between the person on staff who really was about like pastoral care and the person on staff that was about the pastoral um, experience. Mm. And so as we measure this, look, yeah, the experience still has to be, have, have quality to it. Um, but if, when they're not in your building or if they are in your building and they're covered by a mask, and, you know, some of them don't feel comfortable showing up to the building yet. Um, have we forgotten about the people who are still at home watching? The people who are still at home maybe, and, and then maybe they're not watching, but they still feel connected to, to your church community. And they're just waiting for someone to know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, man, that's so good what you shared. And I think all of us, if we were paying attention um, to the, just the, the names that are immediately around us, mm-hmm. we would see that God has surrounded us with people who have passion, calling, and giftedness in this area. Yeah. And I think that's a, another thing that, that Vance talked about in the white paper is just, you know, being okay, not being the expert, not being the hero of the story, like yeah. not having the entire ministry revolve around, you know, you as the pastor, as a leader, but, but, um, you know, leaning in to connecting people to each other. You know, he talked about connecting, giving parents resources to actually raise their kids up, right, in biblical knowledge. And I, I think, you know, if we pay attention to that, um, you know, that overwhelm starts to dissipate if we just decide we don't have to be the center of the story. But what you just said, someone, someone needs to know the name. Yeah, David, we, I'm inter- sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I was interested to hear of, of this white paper, what stood out to you? What were the things that were uh, kind of on your mind? Yeah, no, I, you know, there's so many aspects of it, obviously, and we've talked about so many of them. Uh, number two for me um, jumped out. And, and actually, I would actually use the word number two was convicting to me. Um, and it, it says shift from doing to developing. And, um, you know, in our culture right now, and you guys can push on me as this is, this is my take. Um, we celebrate overworking. Hmm. We celebrate being exhausted. I mean, how many times have you got, you know, you, you jump in a meeting, you go out to lunch with a buddy, you know, you're, you're talking to them. Hey man, how, how you been, man, busy, right? Like, hmm. like they're not necessarily saying that for, for your sake, right? Like they're saying that so that you know, they're busy. They're saying that for their own sake. It's, it's a badge of honor to be like tired and out a bunch and, and, and all of these different things. And so, and so on one hand, we celebrate this idea of, of being busy. And on the other hand, in local church, we celebrate celebrity. So, so I don't want to platform someone else. I should be the one to do it. It's almost like I, need and want to be the hero. I think ministry attracts people who have the desire to, to save and be heroes. 
And so number two for me was, was huge because like how many times um, do I do something that I could teach someone to do? You know, in our, in our coaching, we have this, this idea of um, I'll have people that will, that will often, you know, if I'm three or four sessions, they keep telling me how busy they are. At some point, I'm going to have them do one of these, a list. And I'm going to say, okay, let's, let's put two lists right next to each other on the whiteboard. And I want you to have on one list, I'm supposed to do. And then I want you to have on the other list, I'm not supposed to do. Do you have things in your ministry that still need to be accomplished, but don't need to be done by you? Have you, do you trust anybody else? Have you, are you able to lean into that at all? And so I, I, I have become actually unimpressed when I'm talking to someone and they tell me how busy they are. My question for them now is, well, why? Hmm. Mm-hmm. What could you be doing? Like, like you must be doing something wrong. Like there, there's got to be something else you could be doing. And again, we're all busy in our own right, right? You know, that's not to say like, like everyone's got different thresholds of, of being busy, but if they can't tell me what they've delegated, if they can't tell me who they've developed to take some of that off their plate, then I, then I'm, I start treating them and coaching them more through the lens of, oh yeah, you don't actually know how to be a leader. Hmm. Wow. You know how to be a doer. And uh, there, there's, there's a book, and I think I've mentioned it on here before, um, but it really, I, it really affected me. Don Cousins put out called Leadership um, years and years ago, and, uh, and, and I was on a church staff that we went through it, and, um, and he uses phrase, the phrasing that he used. He says, he says um, we need to teach people to be uh, equippers rather than doers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, you know, there's a, the, the example he said, he says, Jesus didn't invite the disciples to come do ministry with him. Jesus invited the disciples to do life with him and together they did ministry. Mm-hmm. And there's something about how leaders function today where we need to become better equippers or as Vance says, developers of others to do it. Um, I've got a couple like ideas as to why we measure that way and why we're, we're successful, but I'd be interested to hear from you guys. Like, like how does that resonate with you? You know, Brian and Keith, um, where are you seeing that? And maybe even how are you doing with that? You know, as, as you hear me kind of go off on it a little bit, you know, talk, talk for a minute about that. Yeah, man, I think you hit the nail on the head here. Um, the, the idea that I think there's a couple of things that contribute to this, right? I don't think anyone sets out in ministry. I, I would agree that it, it naturally attracts the heroic, you know, types or people yeah. looking to, to save others. Um, and sometimes it's a painful experience that you have to walk through to realize that you're not that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I think there's a cultural issue here, David, that, that I'm hearing that's mm. larger because what we celebrate is the greatest indicator of what we value. Exactly. And so if we celebrate stages and crowds and numbers, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, even cool one, one-liners that are quotable and tweetable. How much is tweetable? And, and so if, if that... If that is it, if that's the thing, then I'm going to keep putting my energy. If that's the thing that gets praised, recognized, Mm -hmm. published, right? All of those things, then more of that. And I think that we've not been challenged to to slow down long enough to say, what what would more of that actually produce? And Mm. and I think we're actually 20 years in to seeing now in the church what that that sort of metric for the minister produces. Right. 
And so to not be the hero of the story anymore mm -hmm. may feel disappointing for some. Absolutely. And it may feel like a letdown. And it may even mean that there has to be a cultural shift at a board level or an organizational level, level right. to say, hey, that's not actually what we care about anymore. Like you mm -hmm. could do all of that and have the greatest event, crowd, wow, the best sermon we've ever heard. But at the end of the day, that, that's wonderful, but that's not actually the thing that we're trying to do here. We're trying to reproduce and empower and develop others. Yeah. And so I don't think the metric has been around developing. I, I mean, it's very rare that I meet with a leader who says, hey, the dashboard indicator of success for me is to have coffee with six new believers that are less than three years old in their faith. Mm -hmm. Like, no, it's to get this many people in the program. It's well, to you, get this many in you, the you would be shocked, man. You know, if you saw the faces uh, you know, when I, when I would walk in and again, I'm asking someone to describe their ministry to me and everything is a, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And at the end, I just sit there and I just nod and smile while they talk. And at the very end, I just say, why do you do all that? <laughs> is there no one, is there no one you could develop to help you with those things? Is there, is there no one? And this one's hard for a lot of people. Is there no one that you know that could do it better than you? Mm. Because that, because that all of a sudden starts speaking to how they feel about themselves. I'm the only one that can do it right. And so here, here's the reality. Um, you know, I, I think we've all developed different people in different ways. Uh, it is easier for me, I will say this out, outright. In the beginning, it is easier for me as a leader to be the speaker. I can write a message in less time than I can teach someone to write a message. Yeah. So in, in, in the short term, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, it is easier right away just to do it myself and knock it out because it will take less effort, less energy. But that will that that has a very short um, shelf life. So I have learned that it, that yes, that is true that that is easier. But if I teach people to do it, then over time my job will get exponentially easier because now I'm not speaking, you know, four or five times a month. Now I, I'm, I've developed other people to take some of that load. Now I'm not the only one that can put together that game, write that message, uh, disciple that student. If you teach other people, if you are a developer, an equipper of ministry, th there, there's something really interesting to that. And, and actually, I, I've, I've bought into this at such a level. And again, you guys know me, I can get kind of intense about things. And so, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but I've, I, I, you know, and actually, uh, I was talking to someone who was one of my interns um, when, you know, I, gosh, like six or seven years ago. And now she's the children's pastor at the church that I attend. It's amazing. I love it. It's so fun. Um, and, and, and she said, remember when you said this? And, and what I said to my whole team, including interns, is um, if I'm paying you on staff, then you must be an equipper. Doers of ministries are volunteers. Mm -hmm. But I don't pay... I don't hire doers of ministries because that then, then I'm a task manager. Right. I hire equippers of ministry. And so if you ever want to be recommended for a ministry through, through us and through me, you will have to become an equipper first. And yeah, sure, you got to be good at the doing. That's great. But that's not what I'm going to measure as far as success. So taking all the way back to measurement, what if as churches, we looked at our staff and we said, you know who's doing a really great job is person X because they're developing at a high level mm. because they've reproduced themselves at a high level. To me, again, to what you said, Keith, 
that would change all of the, um, you know, uh, the celebration around who we are trying to be. And more people would strive for that. But it's not what we celebrate now. It's not what we measure today. I can't remember the last time that I had a supervisor ask me, how many people are you developing? Right. I, I mean, this is not just leadership theory, you know, like this is Bible, <laughs> like it's Ephesians four all the way, like the, the leadership offices, the gifts uh, that God has given us, it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And again, going back to like moving beyond just great leadership principles you were talking about earlier, David, it's like understanding the what does the Bible say about some of these things and how does it apply to our life and to our leadership? And I think, you know, I, I think, you know, I had a, a leader early on uh, in my ministry journey look at me and say, Brian, you are a great worship pastor, but if you think that this ministry will stop when you leave, you're going to be mistaken, you know, because as great as you are, there are others and he said, so your job is not just to be great while you're here, but to make sure it's great when you leave. And like that, 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 um, you know, delegation, like, and I think Vance references this, like it, the duplication piece, like you were talking about, David, it's even beyond just delegating. Cause when we think of delegating, we think of all of the like, you know, again, the tasks that might be, quote unquote, you know, beneath us, like I'll delegate this and delegate this. And, but when you get to duplication, it's what you said. It's like there are people that are going to step up and they're going to lead worship better than I'm going to lead. You know, they're going to step in and lead a team or a meeting or a creative meeting or whatever the different things they're going to lead it better. And I have to be OK uh, stepping back and letting them be the hero, letting them shine and not having my personal identity and, and sense of self and worth wrapped up in what I do uh, and just let it be who I am and be excited about that person because there's a good chance that they're still going to be there when I leave. And for me, the measurement of success is what am I leaving behind? Who am I leaving behind in terms of leaders that can step in and, and fill gaps? Um, and step into even more prominent positions than maybe some of us on staff. But it is. It's Ephesians 4 all the way. Two of Paul's charge to Timothy, you know, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. That's the model that we've been given. And I was thinking, too, about John Maxwell's you know, statement that every leader needs to know their final responsibility. And I think some of this in our calling comes back to that. Like, what is the thing that is our final responsibility? And that's the thing that we can't delegate, that we can't outsource, that we can't push off on someone else, mm -hmm. that we're ultimately held responsible for. And I think the more clearly we can define that, the less we'll have to ask for permission to be the sort of leader that God's called us to be. That's really um, good. That's good. So find that. What is that final responsibility you have? And David, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're getting paid to be on staff, it's because you're an equipper. And be. those that do are, are in volunteering. So the final responsibility feels like mm -hmm. to be reproducing and developing others. Exactly. Yeah. 
I love doing this with you guys because uh, I got every time that I'm on with you guys, I I feel smarter at the end for sure. Like you guys are so smart. Um, so I it's fun to learn with and from you. I I think that as 2020 comes to an end, it will be really important for us as ministry leaders, church leaders that are listening to understand how you will measure success moving forward. You know, we'll put a link to the white paper. You can read it, translate it for yourself from this idea of next gen into your church, or, or maybe you just caught one or two things while we were talking and you would just say, man, that's, that's something new that I want to focus and lean in on in this next season of ministry. Don't, don't, let's not waste 2020. Let's not waste the lessons you know, I, I, so many people are saying, man, I can't, I, I just can't wait for this to be over and done with so I can get back to normal. Let's not go back to normal. There are some things within normal that we need to shift away from. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the way that we measure success as, um, as people in ministry is going to be one of the big ones that, that we're having to really reshape right now in real time. And we have to figure that out. Let's spend some time on that. I'd be curious uh, from anyone listening out there, how are you creatively measuring success? You know, did you hear one of the ones that we talked about? Are you doing that? Is there something different that you would say, man, they didn't even mention this, but we, we measure success this way. Let's as a community learn from each other. Let's get on social. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, because again, this is, this is the time to sit back and to learn for sure. Cause no one knows it's right. the time to sit back and learn from one another. You know, um, it's crazy to say this, but this is our last, it's the final episode of season four, you guys. Isn't that crazy? Craziness. It it flew, flew by. We really wanted this season to be all around this, um, you know, the pandemic that we're in and, and, and the things that are really happening, the conversations, uh, the racial tension, the, um, the, the difficult things that are happening, the church should be responding to and not just being a spectator to, but leaning in and understanding more and being leaders in. Um, we hope that this was a, a helpful uh, season for you as you listened through we're already doing some work gearing up for season five. We're going to take, uh, you know, we're going to take December off um, and we're going to be back in January and can't wait to bring some of these new conversations that we're working on to you to listen to. Maybe you even have some, some um, leaders or some topics that you would want to suggest. Why don't you send them our way uh, so we can, uh, again, uh, we want to answer the questions that are being asked, not necessarily just the ones that we think might be out there. Um, but we, we're grateful for you. If, if any of these episodes were helpful to you, share them, um, put them out there, give us a little bit of a review on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen. And we're going to end this episode the way we've ended every episode of season four with our improv leadership moment. And so why don't we send you over to Stan Indicott so you can listen in on that conversation. Uh, We love you guys. And we'll see you in season five. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to that part of the episode that we're calling Improv Leadership Moments. Leadership is not just a series of tasks that we're responsible for doing. It's an art that involves imagination, that requires innovation, and demands an emotional engagement that at times calls for improvisation. Only the best leaders can truly improv. At Slingshot Group, 
Our co-founder and chief culture officer, Stan Endicott, and vice president of coaching, David Miller, developed the Improv Leadership Coaching Model to help leaders build trust, encourage risk-taking, increase collaboration, and promote creativity. Improv Leadership is based on five leadership competencies that leaders can develop to initiate powerful conversations and create memorable, life-changing moments for their teams. So, without further delay, let's jump into today's Improv Leadership Moment. Well, let's talk about our final competency, going north. So, Stan, what is, what is going north? The term came from, it's a military term, it came out of the War College, and it's, it's all about going around and coming in a different way. And you can Google the two words, which are indirect influence. That's where the concept is. Indirect influence is, I can't, I'm having trouble going directly at this person, so I've got to go north on them. I've got to go around the other way. And I use, I've used this many, many times in my own life. And for, for people that are having trouble with their supervisor, I teach them how to use going north concept. And in leadership... There are people on your team right now that you need to move in a certain direction. And for some reason, yeah. they are, they're against it or mm-hmm. there's, you're hitting, hitting a wall. They've got the, the walls up. A lot of times, David, you tell a story. I'm, gonna, I'm teeing you. I'm bump set spiking you here, buddy. <laughs> a lot of times we're, we're hired as coaches yeah. by an executive pastor, lead pastor to go coach somebody on their staff. Right, right. And when they... No, I'm getting a coach. There's a, usually a reason why. And there's sometimes resistant. You tell a story that I think really exemplifies this can sound really difficult. Sure. But it's simple. Yeah. Tell it, us the story. It, I, yeah, you don't need to overthink it. And so I, I remember getting invited into it, this really rad church on the East Coast. And I show up and I'm going to be coaching their next-gen pastor. And, and this next-gen pastor is like just top tier, like really, really good. Yeah. And again, they didn't bring me in because he was he was bad at anything, but they they wanted to develop and support and you know do some different things. Well, man, I, I you know I, I got off the plane. It was a uh, you know I'm coming from California all the way as far as you can go to the East Coast. You know, get my rental car, drive an hour, you know, to the church, and I and I get on the campus, and this next gen pastor has his arms folded, and he's and he's waiting for me in the parking lot, and he just has this look of why are you here? (laughs) Like, why does someone think that I should talk to you? Yeah. And, and man, my, my mind is going crazy. How do I get around this barrier? How do I get to the heart of this person? How do I move forward and help this person have a breakthrough? And so, you know, he's walking me around and getting a tour of like the facility and, and just, we're just hitting, I'm hitting wall after wall as I try to, you know, just get through to him in a conversation just as friends. And, and I think the old me before all of these competencies would have, you know, my type A personality, I would have said, well, let's get in your office. Let's get on the whiteboard. Let's start writing down what you're doing, you know, what's right, wrong and missing. And you know what I mean? I would have just gone straight after it. But understanding going north, I, I we walk by the youth room and there's a ping pong table there. And I and I just kind of, I, I, I see him for a second and I say, hey, do you, do you play ping pong? And he looks at me like with this like twinkle and he just goes, a little, which which in in this setting is like is yeah. a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's this moment, 
And so, and so I, I, you know, we challenge each other to a ping pong game. game on. Uh, you know, we start we start going back and forth. Uh, you know, playing. I, I, I'm okay at ping pong. He's doing really well, and we start really going after it. And we're talking trash, and we're having fun. And all of a sudden, I just start watching his barrier go down, down, down. Where now we're starting to have a real conversation about his life. We're getting into some of the things in the ministry. And by the end of you know a couple matches of ping pong, then we went into the office. And started talking about what was going on in his ministry and where he wanted to see breakthrough. And, and it changed the entire dynamic of that relationship. Yeah. And, and, and I just think that we are moving at such a pace in our churches and in our ministries that we don't take the time to use indirect influence well. We go straight at the, at the problem. And I'm telling you, in that, in that instance, if I would have gone straight at him, I, nothing would have been accomplished. I would have hit the wall that he put up, and and yeah. and that would have been the end of our time together. But by but by helping that wall to get broken down before we got there, by slowing down, by changing the setting, by creating a shared experience, by by telling stories back and forth across this ping pong table, all of a sudden he was primed. The soil was primed for there to be breakthrough and for those seeds to be planted and for him to have a new experience. And, and, and that is one of my favorite, like he and I, to this day, like we'll text each other. Did he beat you? I, I, no, he didn't beat me, but you know, I don't think he likes you as much as you think he does. Well, well, I beat <laughs> you whenever we, pride, I, I beat you whenever we play ping pong as well, Keith. Like, prideful. So, I think yeah. it was, uh, <laughs> but there's it was some... a very humbling experience <laughs> <Right>. actually. <laughs> you spent too much time in boys school that, or something. That's, I think, that's probably what practicing. it is. But there's something about it. And so, and so again, this is another one of those be intentional, slow down, look yeah. for opportunities to get around the barrier. That's what yep. going north really is all about. Well, thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Slingshot Group podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged by the content and found these conversations meaningful. The best way to stay informed about the Slingshot Group podcast is by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love your feedback. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. That's all the time we have for today. Until next time. Oh,